So if you have a Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 5. If not, they'll put it up on the screens for you. Luke chapter 5. I'm going to go to verse 17. Luke chapter 5 and verse 17. I'm going to read through verse 20. And I'm excited to share this thought with you today. Luke 5. Can we welcome the folks that are joining us online too, by the way? Just can't be in the room today, but we're happy you're, you're with us as well. It says this, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Father, we thank you for your word. We're praying that over these moments that we have together that you would speak to us. We need to hear from you. We are in this room today, not just gathered together for community or, or fellowship. We're we're really here with the intention to hear from you. We thank you for the fellowship and the community that comes with this gathering. But God, most importantly, this whole thing is set up for you to speak. This is your house. And so we ask God that you would speak to us clearly in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. One of the things I noticed first off when I'm reading this story is that there is a certain group of people that are gathered to hear Jesus that day. The Bible says that they consist of Pharisees and teachers of the law, and that these Pharisees and teachers of the law had come from every village of Galilee, from all over Judea and Jerusalem, to hear Jesus. And you get the sense that because these men come and they cannot get into the room, that the crowd is so great that they can't get access to Jesus. This is not a church like this. This is someone's house, and this house is crowded, and this house has no room. And so these men find a way to get to Jesus. I'm thankful that they did this for this man. But I want us to pay a little bit of attention to what happens here at the beginning of the story is that there's a crowd gathered. They're, they're gathered for a particular reason. They're there to hear Jesus. But the Bible says that the presence of God, the power of God, the purpose of God for being there that day is to heal people. They are gathered together to get teaching to get more wisdom, to maybe ask some questions, to maybe challenge Jesus, because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law weren't really there to get a message from Jesus. They were actually there to, to catch Jesus doing something wrong. So they were there for one purpose, but the presence of God was there for another reason. I wonder how many times we come to church with our own intentions and our own desires and our own designs, and we actually miss what God is there willing to do that day because we've got our own pride, just like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And this is what happens to us when we get into dead religion and pride. This is what happens to us when we start coming to church out of routine or we start coming to church uh, because we are we are trying to get something from God. This is what happens to us. It becomes dead religion to us. It becomes this, this thing that we do to, to maybe check a box that says, man, I was at church this Sunday. How was church was great this Sunday. Sometimes we do it because we feel bad and we want to feel better. 
And church can become this religious activity that we do instead of the place that we go to actually personally meet with Jesus, encounter his presence, and get what he wants to deliver to us that day. And even though it's good for us to come to the house of God and have desires that we want God and needs that we want God to meet, it's better for us to leave the house of God, not with what we want, but with what God wants to do in our lives today, because God knows what we need best. Can somebody say amen? So this is what, this is what happens to us when we get into religious activity and pride. Pride wants more teaching, but humility wants more of Jesus. Pride, listen to me, pride wants more teaching, humility wants more of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39. He said to people, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Isn't that wild that you can, you can know the Bible and not know the God of the Bible. You can know the church and not know the God of the church. You can love the teaching of Jesus and not really even love Jesus. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think in the scripture, in knowing the Bible, you have eternal life. But Jesus said, it's not in knowing the Bible that you have eternal life. It's in knowing the God of the Bible that you have eternal life. And if your Bible reading just becomes about routine and religion, then you'll get no more than that. But if you go reading the Bible for relationship, for an experience with God, to know God, then you'll get so much more than what you actually came for. Can somebody say amen? Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 3 and 8. He said, I count everything as loss. And what he's talking about is his knowledge of Scripture. He's trained in the scripture. Paul was trained by Gamaliel, which was one of the high priests. He was one of the, the legend teachers of that day. The Bible says about Paul that he was a learned man. He was an educated man. He was both a Roman citizen and a Jewish man. Most scholars believe that Paul spoke about seven different languages. And Paul said all of that knowledge, all of that wisdom, he said, I count it as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And that should be our desire today. When we come to the house of God, yes, we want to hear a word. Yes, we want to experience the presence of God in worship. But more than any of that, we want to know Jesus better. Because only in knowing Jesus better can our lives be changed and the world around us be changed as a result. So I don't want to just know the Bible. I want to know the God of the Bible. I don't want to just know about church, how to do church. I want to know the God of the church. And I've been in church since I was a little kid. I've been in this church since I was seven years old. And if I'm not careful, this can become routine for me. This can become just the thing I do on Sundays, but it's so much more than that. It's an opportunity to encounter the God of the church, not just go to church. And I don't want to just love the teachings of Jesus. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to love Jesus. This happened all throughout the New Testament as people encountered Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, verses 43 through 46, he's in the house of a man named Simon. And they're there and they're listening to Jesus. And this woman approaches Jesus. And they can't believe that this kind of woman is approaching Jesus much more. They cannot believe that Jesus is allowing this kind of woman to approach him. And then Jesus turns to Simon and he says to him about this woman, he says, do you see this woman? He said, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. 
But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Could it be that we don't really experience Jesus, not because the presence of Jesus isn't in the room? But could it be that we don't experience Jesus because we don't minister to Jesus? Could it be that your primary focus of coming to church is Jesus minister to me? But part of coming to church is that I would also minister to Jesus. Jesus said, I've been in the room this whole time and you haven't done anything for me. I've been in your presence this whole time. I've been showing my face this whole time. I've been teaching you this whole time. I've been showing you who I am this whole time, but you haven't done anything for me. You've been standing there with your hands in your pockets, kind of looking at the worship team like, why are they doing that? Like, why, where's Malachi's socks this morning? Like, where, why has he got so much energy? What did he put in his coffee that he can dance around like that? Well, I'm not as dark-skinned as Malachi, so I can't move like Malachi. And we make all of these excuses, and Jesus is sitting in the room saying, where are the people who are going to give me water? Where are the people who are going to pour oil on me? Where are the people who are going to acknowledge my presence? Not by just say, thank you, Jesus, for ministering to me. Where are the people who are going to minister to Jesus? Jesus doesn't show up where he's tolerated. Shows up where he's celebrated. They're, they're, they've got the whole situation wrong. They're like, Jesus, you're here to teach us. And Jesus is like, uh, could it be that I'm actually here? For you to minister to me, man. So dead religion and pride is not just, <laughs> it's not just something that causes us to want more teaching. I, one of my favorite reasons people leave churches sometimes is, and even people will come here and say, you know, my pastor, he just wasn't deep enough. You know, he just, he just didn't have enough word for me. I just couldn't be fed there. And first of all, I'm thinking, you're not three. You're kind of at that point where you're supposed to feed yourself now. That's a whole other thing. <sighs> That's a sign of dead religion. I ah, just not being ministered to anymore. Oh, you're missing the point of church. It's not just so that you can be ministered to. It's so that you can minister. Man. Dead religion and pride is also more concerned with getting their word or hearing their song than the sick people who can't get in the room. Isn't it an amazing thing that these men show up with this paralyzed man and nobody in this room takes the time to go hey let's uh let's make some room for these guys nobody in the room is concerned with the sick guy getting to Jesus we're here to get ours and the sick guy is on the outside. Could, it, could this be the picture of the church in America today? That we're so focused on getting our needs met. That the people who are really sick. 
This is not a museum for Christians. This is a hospital for the sick. And sometimes when you get to a point in a church where you're like, they're just not ministering to me anymore. I just don't feel what I used to feel in the beginning. Could it be that that is a signal that you are now healthy? And this is your opportunity to stop getting ministry from the church, but to become a minister. Could it be that, that your progression is not to go to another church? Your progression is to go into all the world. That could possibly be, I'm just suggesting. All right. So the crowd does nothing to help them get in. And, and people wonder, why, why is your progression, belong, believe, become? Because people need to understand that they belong to God before they ever believe in God. In the sense that Jesus was always welcoming people who didn't feel like they were supposed to be close to God, near to God. As a matter of fact, throughout the entire New Testament, you hear words like this, and sinners drew near to hear Jesus. They weren't drawing near to hear the priests. They weren't drawing near to hear the Pharisees. They felt rejected by them. But something about Jesus said, I belong with him. I belong to him. And until you realize that you belong to God, you'll never believe in God. Oh, wow. So think about this, though. Think about this. There's a story in Luke chapter 10, famous story about uh, these teachers of the law. They come and ask Jesus. They're trying to trap him. And they ask Jesus, you know, uh, I want to inherit eternal life. What do I need to do? And Jesus says, what is the, what's the Bible say? What's the word say? You know. He goes, well, love, you know, God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, yeah, do that and you'll be good. And the guy's like, but who's my neighbor? And Jesus is like, oh, man, this is this is the problem with the church. So he tells this story. He tells a story about this man who has fallen among thieves and thieves and he's dying on the side of the road. And three different people walk past him and see him, and they all have uh, different reactions. Um, two of them, their actions are very similar, but one of them actually stops and helps them in. And it's, it's a Samaritan, and Jesus is trying to make a point. He says there was, a, there was a priest that walked by and saw the guy dying on the side of the road, and he just continued to walk. And then there was a Levite. A Levite is, is not, it's not a priest, but a Levite also serves in the house of God. Um, so these would be two people. One, one, is, one leads the church and another one serves in the church. And Jesus is like, these are the two people that should help and they don't. Why? Because after a while, if, you, if, you're, if you're in church for a while, what, what tends to happen to us is we, we'd rather look holy than be helpful. So if we're not careful, we'll be like the priest who would rather look holy than actually help people. Or we'll be like the Levite who would, who would rather be used than be useful. Because there's a difference in somebody who wants to be used by God and somebody who's just like, God, use me. Come on, because there are a lot of people in this room you want to be used by God, but in your particular way. You don't want to be useful, you just want to be used. And if God were come, was to come along and say, hey, I want to use you, and he would tell you what he wanted to use you for, it wouldn't look a whole lot like you want to be used. And so you wouldn't allow God to use you. 
That's what, that's what he's saying. He's saying there are people in the church. This is what dead religion does. You want to look good, but you don't want to help anybody. And you want to be used. In other words, you're more interested in titles and position and promotion than you are actually helping people. And this is what, this is what dead religion does. And this hurts us as the people of God. How many people walk away from Jesus because of his crowds? And how many people never experience Jesus because we are more concerned with looking holy than being helpful? And I love this story, though, because these men were like, we're not going to let these silly followers of Jesus keep us from getting what Jesus has for us. That doesn't happen a lot today. A lot of people stay away from church because of the crowds. A lot of people stay away from church because, not crowds in the sense like, well, there's too many people there. That can happen as well. But I think more people stay away because the crowd isn't interested in helping them. But they didn't get offended by the crowd. Don't listen. Please listen to me. And if you're listening online, please listen to me. Don't let the followers of Jesus keep you away from Jesus. (laughs) Please don't let offense keep you out. The Bible says about the enemy that 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I love to watch shows about nature. And I love lions in particular. And one of the things that they like to do to capture their prey is they like to isolate someone from the crowd. They like to get someone separated from the crowd. And if they can get you away from the crowd, then they can attack you. But have you ever noticed that even even a group of antelope or a group of elephants or whoever the lion is trying to attack buffalo who whatever if you ever noticed if they stay together they can't get you but the moment they're able to isolate someone and who do they go after they don't go after the strong one in the group they go after the weak one why is the church attacking the weak ones when that's the enemy's job why would the church Go ahead and isolate the weak ones for the devil. When it's our job to make sure that the weak are surrounded by the strong. So if you see someone who isn't walking in their full potential, you don't condemn them and kick them out. No, this is your opportunity to bring them close. You don't treat them in a certain way until you get your act together. I'm not going to. No, you pull them in close because in that closeness, they can find family, they can find strength, and they can find protection from the lion who seeks to devour their life. Another thing we do when we've fallen into dead religion is we... We put our rules and our preferences on the same level as God's. In Matthew 15, 1 through 3, these, these, uh, the disciples are getting ready to eat a meal, apparently. And the Bible says that these, uh, these Pharisees, they come to them and they're like, Hey, uh, notice your, uh, your disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. 
And I'm also grossed out by this as well. I'm wondering, why aren't your disciples washing their hands, Jesus? <laughs> but Jesus goes, that's interesting. Uh, he says, because you're breaking God's law and you're wondering about men's traditions. Watch it. He says, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Oh, this isn't the law. This is a tradition of the elders. Jesus goes on to say in verse three, he's like, you guys are out here tripping over us, not washing our hands, but you break the commands of God for the sake of your tradition. What we do very often is we put God's law and our preferences on the same level. And they are nowhere close to one another. And this is actually what Jesus came to deal with. Jesus didn't just come to deal with the law in the sense that the 600 and some laws that Moses gave, he was going to fully keep and he was going to fully obey, but he also came to destroy the laws of men that had attached themselves to the laws of God and corrupted the law of God. When Jesus came on the scene, they had actually relaxed the law of God in some ways and exalted the laws of men. And this made Jesus angry. So he comes in and he says stuff like, you've heard it said. You should not commit adultery. But I say to you, even if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You've heard it said that you shouldn't hate your brother, but if you call your brother a fool, you are in danger of hellfire. This is what Jesus said. So Jesus came in. He didn't lower the standard of the law when he showed up on the scene. Jesus actually raised the standard of the law to where it was supposed to be to show you and I that we could never, anybody in here, you're, you're in danger of hellfire. You got a brother and you called him a fool. So most of us in here are in danger of hellfire. Can we just say amen? Jesus didn't come and raise the standard of the law so we could go, man, look at us. We can do that. Jesus did that so we could look at that and say, there's no way. And then when he died on the cross, we would wake up and realize, oh, he's doing that for us because we can't do that for ourselves. But he's also dealing with the fact that, man, you've added a lot of stuff to this. And then he goes on in Matthew 15 and he says this. He says, you've actually fallen in love with your traditions so much. You love your traditions more than you love me. So not only have you changed the law, to fit you. And we're doing this in the day we live in. We're redefining words that have been settled for thousands of years of church history. Because we're trying to make it fit us. Humans have always done this. I'm not surprised by what's happening today. Jesus comes on scene. He's like, you've twisted this to fit what you want me to be. And that's not how I work. And as a matter of fact, you've actually fallen more in love with the way you want me to be than who I really am. So he says, these people, Matthew 15, quoting Isaiah, he says, these people, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Wow. 
We fall into dead religion. We also want what God gives more than we want God himself. Story in Luke 15 of the prodigal and his older brother show us two sons who would rather have full pockets than a relationship with their father. And if we're not careful, we'll have the same mindset when we come to church. We'll come to church to get blessed instead of coming to church to be with the blesser. So pride can keep us from Jesus. The Bible says about these men, they were full of pride. But the power of Jesus was there to heal. And it was their pride that caused them to miss their opportunity. Please don't allow your pride to allow you to miss your opportunity. Nobody in this room likes to be carried. Nobody. Every now and then I'll, I'll play Call of Duty with my son Judah. And it's the definition of being carried. I'll get into a group with Judah and we'll win. And the finishing total will be like he'll have like 50 kills and, you know, 14 deaths. And I'll have like, you know. 14 kills and 50 deaths. And, but I got the W as well, right? The W goes on my record too. But after a while, it gets old because you get tired of being carried. Anybody ever been on a sports team where you had somebody on your team who just, they, they carried you? I play golf, and every now and then, I've, I've played in like a select shot tournament. And it's really tough because I feel like I'm carrying Guys like Harold, all day. <laughs> Just all day, Harold. <laughs> but nobody likes to be car- carried. Why? Because it, it, we're just, it's human. We're, we're humans. It's, it's in our nature not to want to be carried. But if you're not careful, you will miss some of the most important Important encounters of your life because you refuse to admit your limitations. What if these guys go to this man and they're like, hey, we're going to carry you. And he's too full of pride to allow them to carry him to Jesus. What if they get to the crowd and they go, we can't get in. And he goes, ah, it's it's the story of my life. And they're like, no, no, we're going to get you in. He's like, no, nah, this is just the way it's always been for me. Nobody ever makes room for me. They're like, no, we are, we're getting in. We've got a plan. It's going to sound crazy, but we're going to lift you up on top of the roof. And then we're going to drop you down in front of everybody. And I wonder how many of us would be full of so much pride that we wouldn't allow ourselves to be dropped in a room like that. I think that happens every week in the house of God. It happens every week because you come to church every week, some of you, with this facade on that makes it look like you have no limitations. 
And the purpose of the house of God is not to pretend like you have no dysfunctions. The purpose of the house of God is to lay those dysfunctions bare before the Lord so that he can heal you. But too many of us are worried about what people will think about us to experience the closeness to Jesus that we need to experience the power that's available in the room. So not only do you need people in your life who will carry you to Jesus, you need a willingness to let people carry you in the places you're weak. I would say our biggest issue is that we don't have people who aren't willing to take us to Jesus. I would say our biggest issue is that people don't know where you're limited because not every one of our limitations is laying on a mat for everybody to see. So many of our limitations are hidden, and if you're not careful, you will spend the rest of your life thinking that because you can hide your limitation, that your limitation doesn't need healing. Or you can cover your limitation that your limitation doesn't need healing. Or it's not out there in the streets for everybody to see. So maybe it's just something that I'm supposed to carry. When the purpose of the house of God is that God would heal your limitations. Whatever they are. If it's your mindset. If it's in your heart. If it's that you're bitter and wounded. God wants to heal those limitations. So don't come to church and pretend like you have none. Come to church and let God and let people know. That's why James said this. He said, pray to God that your sins would be forgiven. But when you pray and you talk about your sins with others, then you are healed. Because sometimes you can't ever get to God without somebody carrying you. Sometimes you have to admit you are weak so that someone can carry you to a place you cannot get on your own. When you have people in your life who can do what you can't do, it shouldn't embarrass you. It should open your eyes to see that God wants to remove the limitations from my life. When God, this is what, but what happens to us is when we get surrounded by people who can do what we can't do, or some people who can do what we do better, we get jealous, we start to covet, we start to talk trash, we start to put them down, we start to say stuff like, you know, it's one of those things that happens even in our area. Have you noticed this? If anybody in this area has money, the people will always say, drugs. (laughs) It can't ever be that they worked hard and they earned it. It's drugs or they stole it. Because this area has an issue because we, we live in a small place, we have small minds, and anything that comes in that looks bigger than us, we are, we are, we are not challenged by, we are jealous of. You'd be surprised how many people get mad at me anytime I say I want to spend money. I'm like, I'm not doing this for me, I'm doing this for, I want to build a house for God. So you need people in your life who can't do what you do because they can take you where you couldn't go so you could become who you can't become on your own. But instead of surrounding people, surrounding ourselves with people who don't have our limitations, most of us surround ourselves with people who have the same limitations. And then we sit around and talk bad about the people who don't have our limitations. 
Because one of our tendencies as human beings is anytime anybody gets free from our opinion, we just ramp up our opinion. And we surround ourselves with people who have the same opinion. This is important because in relationships, you do not need comfort. You need movement. So many people pick their friends based on comfort. You like the same football team as me? Brothers for life. They could be a weirdo with a Steelers jersey on. You don't know. Because weirdos wear Steelers jerseys. I'm just, I'm just kidding. That's, that's bad. That's not Bible. That was just my opinion. I've got a weirdo in my house. My wife is a Steelers fan, so that was directed at her. <laughs> the power of relationships is not found in sameness, but uniqueness. But our pride won't allow us to allow unique people in our lives. You even ruin the power of your marriage by trying to make your spouse like you. That's what happens, right? Before you get married, it's like, oh, they're so different than me. They're so outgoing and they're so free and so funny and then you get married and all of the stuff that you loved about them becomes like your frustration. I have a, I have a friend who left his wife because bottom, of the line, bottom, bottom line was she was outgoing. He, he was intimidated by her to the point that he left her. The thing that was supposed to strengthen your relationship, the thing that, if you looked at it correctly, would add value to your relationship. Remember when Dave, David kills Goliath and they get back into town and those women are singing that song and they're like, you know, Saul slain his thousands, David is tens of thousands. Saul immediately, the Bible says, starts to eye David. He starts to hate David. And it's like, bro, if, wake up. You have turned your greatest ally into your worst enemy. That's what we do in marriage. And we spend most of our marriages trying to make them like us. And we destroy the power of our marriage. Because the power of our relationships is not in our sameness. It's in our uniqueness. You ruin your children when you try to make them just like you. You don't want them to be just like you. You want them to be better than you. I don't want you to have my same limitations. I don't want you to think the way I think. I want you to have my foundation in Jesus. But what you build on top of that foundation is totally up to the creative mind that God has given you. Don't be like me. Be better than me. I would even say this to the next generation. Whoever takes this church from us and takes it into the future, don't be like us. Be better than us. Amen. But we want fans, not friends. We want followers, not friends. Proverbs 27, 6 says, though, about a friend, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy 
are deceitful. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You know what that teaches me? That the people that are constantly kissing my... They don't really love me. Because if, if you're a friend, then at some point you have wounded me. Because I care more about you than I do our relationship. And so there are going to be times where I say some stuff to you that could put our relationship in danger because you might not receive it well. But I love you too much to kiss you when I should wound you. But the person that calls you their friend that's constantly blowing smoke, the leader of your fan club, that's not your friend. There are elders in this church, and when I took over the church, my father was like, hey, if you want to, you can, you can select all new elders. And I said, no, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. The guys my age, they're, they're probably going to be prone to blow and smoke. But these guys that are older than me that ran with you, they'll tell me like it is. And the only reason, listen to me, if you know me well, you know the only reason I am still here is not because I am good or I'm talented. The only reason I am here is because we have elders who have led with me and helped me and corrected me and given me words along the way that have saved my life. So you have to, if you're going to make it, if you're going to make it for the long term in relationships, if you're going to make it long term in your job, in business, whatever you're doing, it's going to require that you surround yourself with people who don't have your limitations. Do you have enough humility? Humility is just an awareness of your, your frailty. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not about what you wear or what you drive. Because I've met people who drive hoopties who have so much pride. And I've met people who drive Rolls Royces who are as humble as you could possibly imagine. Because humility is not about what you wear. It's not about what you drive. It's not about where you live. It's about the condition of your heart. It's about are you aware where you are weak? Saul, can you admit that you have some limitations? And are you humble enough to invite the right people in to help you with those limitations? So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you today that you have a way, whether we like it or not, of reminding us that we are limited that we just simply cannot do this without you. There's no hope without you. There's no abundant life without you. Man, we can make a living without you, but we cannot make a life without you. We can have a career without you, but we can't have purpose without you. So for every person in this room today, under the sound of my voice, whether you're here in the room or you're even watching 
online. I just want you to take a moment and consider your frailty, consider your limitations. And then take those things and offer them to God. Because here's the thing, God doesn't want your strengths. He wants your weaknesses. He doesn't get glory from your strength. He gets glory from your weakness. He doesn't get glory from the things that you're able to walk on and walk over. He gets glory from the things you need to be carried through, whether it's by him or by friends and community. That's where God gets the glory. So go ahead and give him those things because those are the things he wants. It's the stuff you're hiding that God wants you to give to him. It's the stuff that you refuse to reveal that God says, that's what I'm looking for. It's the deepest, darkest fears that you have where God says, I want to be in that place. I want to meet you there where it's where you where you gave up that God wants to show up it's not where you have the strength to continue it's in the place where you want to quit God says I want to meet you there we stand in your feet with me today every head bowed every eye closed as you're standing if there's anybody in the room today who would say Robbie I feel I feel distant from God today I And maybe that distance is because you've never given your life to Jesus. Or maybe that distance is because pride. Maybe you've wanted full pockets more than you wanted a relationship with the Father. Maybe you've had your own agenda and God hasn't been doing what you wanted him to do. So you kind of went your own way trying to get what you wanted. Or maybe you just simply walked away from God and because you're going through something you don't understand and You're isolated now and you feel distant. If that's you and you've never given your life to Jesus, or you say, man, I, I want to turn towards the Lord this morning. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air and we're going to pray for you. And I believe in this moment that God is going to make himself known and close to you in Jesus' name. If that's you, one, two, three, throw your hand up in the air. I see you. I see hands everywhere. Awesome. Anybody else you want to throw your hand up in the air and say, that's me today. Come on, let's pray this with those that lifted their hands. Let's say this. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, even my limitations. Thank you that you died for me. I give you my life today. Take all of it. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sin. I confess my pride. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, Calvary. Can we put our hands together and bless the Lord? He's an awesome God. He's an awesome God. I'm so thankful that we have this opportunity to gather, and I'm so thankful for this church. And I believe that one of the things that God wants to do in us is that as we decrease, like John the Baptist said, he's going to increase. And I believe that the more humility we show, the more power we're going to see. And I'm praying that 
in our church. And I'm praying that for your life in Jesus' name. Thank you for being here today. I love you. And uh, we'll see you soon. God bless you.